Okay, my friends. Um, I'm thankful that you're here. It's always fun to see all these wonderful faces. I'm thankful that you're here this week. Um, I hope that you had a chance to listen to last week's teaching. I guess a lot of people did listen to it and maybe didn't like it and didn't come back for part two. I don't know, but what can we do? Uh, Darren, would you turn this down just a notch for me? But the thing is, you know, I am, I am unfulfilled with the status quo. I just... I just don't like it. It's, it's boring. And I think that there is so much more for you and for me and for us. And here's the deal. I, have, I could literally talk today till 3 o'clock because it's all about vision and it's all about the future and it's all about you know, what, what we could be. But... What people always say, why do you always make a, like a, a qualification for your time and your messages? Here's why. Because if I have a lot to say, and I know it's going to be a little while, I, I have you for 30 minutes. The human brain, I have you for 30 minutes. Anything longer than 30 minutes, I begin to lose you minute by minute. It's a progressive decline in attention, right? That's the way it is. For some reason, though, that doesn't happen so much in classes. Like, but when you come to a sermon or something like that, 30 minutes, man, if you can't fit it in 30 minutes, you don't need to be saying it. Well, in class, teachers can talk. Like, for, I've taught at Wesleyan and taught for an hour and 15 minutes, and nobody fell asleep or anything. But in sermons, you have 30 minutes. Guess what? I need more than 30 minutes today. I need more than 30 minutes. So, Imagine you're not in a religious community. Imagine you're sitting in a classroom right now because I have some education and I have some, hopefully, inspiration. And um, how many people, well, first of all, I won't embarrass you. How many people heard last week's teaching? Okay, good. Well, this week, how many people were weirded out by last week's teaching? How about that question? The idea of considering yourself a member of a tribe. Some people, I was talking to Darren, he said, like, I was re-listening to that. I never thought of it in, like, tribal terms, like, you know, jungles and things like that. It's funny how the human brain works. But a lot of people did. Like, that's the first thing that comes to mind when you say tribe to somebody is you think of, like, the Navajo or you think of the Zulu or something like that. That uh, is a little strange, but... Yes, it is. Congregation is a swarm in terms of, well, it certainly can be. A social division in a traditional society consisting of families or communities linked by social, economic, religious, or blood ties with a common culture and dialect, typically having a recognized leader. What is that? That's a tribe. And we talked about why each one of those things last week worked. I got kind of weirded out about it, thinking about it being online. 
Because like we've only now recently began to push more messages online. And I'm not ever very cautious with what I say in here. Like I don't think about the fact that people outside will, will hear things. So political, if you make political statements where I'm standing, you can lose your 501c3. Saying words like idiot and butt and stupid and things like that that I always say in my sermons. I just don't think about it. So uh, just forgive me for that. But when I thought about everybody out there who might listen and say, what the heck? tribe, some kind of Jewish cult thing they got going on here. It passed pretty quickly for me because I really don't care that much about what people think. But I loved more than that hearing people using that language. Somebody sent me an email and said, I would consider that you pass this on to other members of the tribe. I got something from Melanie, accounting stuff on a little sticky note that said tribal stuff. Right? Like, I, what I like about that is that at least you're listening. At least you're thinking about it, and hopefully you're identifying with it. Now, the tribe is cute and catchy, and yeah, it's got a little ring to it, and it's good marketing, but you know me well enough to know that's not why I'm up here. I'm not up here to be cute. I'm not up here to be catchy. I'm not up here to be funny or tell stories. Uh, part two that I want to share with you today is where it's at, because it's what we do with last week. It's what actually matters from last week. It's what difference does it make? How does that picture, that idea, that concept actually import, it impact us? And more importantly, what do we do with it out there? Because in here is what I'm talking about. No offense, if we stay in here, it's boring. It's not moving. It's not alive. It's not stag. I mean, it's stagnant. And stagnant is not good. And I told you last week, the messianic movement, like it's supposed to be exciting. Movement implies moving. It means, yeah, that's exciting. That's inspiring. It's motivating. It's growing. It's challenging. It's impacting. It's dynamic. I don't think that we're that, that often. But we're getting there but we're getting there. And here's the thing about that. Tribe members want to be part of something that is moving, growing, connecting, impacting, changing the world. And people generally, if you think about this psychologically, people generally gravitate toward three states, three, three, three things. Growth, okay? Growth, whether it's spiritual, whether it's financial, whether it's personal growth. I mean, how many life coaches are out there now talking to you about your personal growth? And how many messages have you heard about your personal growth? Okay, everybody tends toward growth. They tend toward connection and they tend toward something new. People want to be and feel alive, like something is happening, something's moving. And you know, I don't know the exact quoting of it, Sharon, so you're going to have to forgive me, but it, it, it takes something new to get the other two things happening. So an object at rest tends to stay at rest unless acted upon by an outside force and the other is true as well, okay? you got to get moving and then something has to keep you moving. And that's what we say. We're 
spirit-filled. We've got the spirit. It's moving us all the time, and we're constantly. No, we're not. No, we're not. We're, we do have the spirit of God. We do have that, the Holy Spirit, and it should be. But you are in control of how far it moves you. In most cases. So to say what I'm saying about growth and connection and something new, it sounds cliche, it sounds like a motivational speech, not a rabbi, but it's both. Because I want you to notice and take note of the things that are going on around you. We are... As I said last week, changing. We are, we are beginning to move. And we talked about people being involved and we talked about different things like that. But what you don't hear are the, the personal stories of people in the congregation who, who are being impacted, who come and say things like, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm in a new place. I'm finding new things. When I'm teaching a class at Wesleyan and I look and these people like they have... I shouldn't say any, I, I don't, this is the nicest way I'm saying this because there's nothing bad to say. It's just there's so much that people don't know about God. And we don't have a lock on truth and we certainly don't know it all. And as Matt Goddard loves to say, you know, I'm up here preaching 50% of what I'm telling you is probably wrong. The problem is I just don't know which 50% it is. I'm not saying we have a lock on truth. I'm saying we need to be moving. And there are people. I had a conversation with a, a lady two weeks ago. She hasn't been back. I probably, if she was here today, this story would be better. But she told me, because we had fairly controversial type of teaching that day, and I made a very bold statement, which I wholeheartedly believe, when I said, Jesus is not God in the sense of what our message was about. And someone came up to me and said, I loved that teaching. I've never thought about it before. And, you know, I can go into a long message about why I said that, but I did that day. I don't need to. It's not about that. It's about the fact that when people's brains wake up and they begin to think, their heart also tends to wake up. It doesn't always go that way. But it's not a cliche. We have a, yes, we have a, a tribe in the sense that what I think we have in our building is something where people are open to think. You can think. You can disagree. We can talk about it. All the things that we've already talked about, we're willing to discuss and consider things and be and invest in each other. We have this community, people who want to be here. It is very difficult for me that I can't get everybody here all the time. It's very frustrating for me. I can't guilt you into coming to Shabbat services. I can't force somebody to do that. It has to be in you. It has to be something you want to do. Okay? Want to do. But it is, it is a reflection of commitment. That I can't get around. I mean, I'm not going to dance around that. When someone comes to services once every six or eight weeks, they are not going to have their finger on the pulse of what it means to be a part of the congregation. 
So, you know, we're, 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 we're trying to build something and there's a reason why we're trying to do that. It's for us, it's for our children. And let me tell you something, we better figure out how to do something for our kids because they're falling by the wayside left and right. We better build something that means something to them. It's for inside these walls, it's for outside these walls, but never before is it more important outside these walls. So I wanna go, you can go to the first slide because this is what I wanna call this sermon today. This teaching, this inspiration and education. First slide will be, that's the last slide. So, I want to start with some statistics. I told you it'd be class, right? That'll really keep you awake. Let me give you some statistics. Let me get to this sermon because, I mean to this slide because I want you to know where we're headed. Because the title of this will help you fully and completely understand where we're going. Can you see it? The kingdom of God and the chicken sandwich. Most people would. Most people would, and that's important to what we're talking about actually today. Millennials. Millennials. I have been fairly hard on millennials. I don't like whining, I don't like complaining. I don't like self-centeredness. I don't like a whole lot of things that I have observed in the generations that come behind me. You see, I've never been guilty of any of those things. So it's easy for me to point fingers at the generations behind me and say, oh, you whiners. Guess what? I read an article this week. It really, really, really struck me and hurt me. And it was from a, it shook me awake. It was a Barna study and it was from 2013. You familiar with the Barna group? They do a lot of like church demographic surveys and things. So there's a study from 13. 13, that means five years ago. So has it gotten better in the last five years? No. Here's 13, 59% of millennials raised in church, and it's all going to be church because this is a church study, okay? We're in a synagogue, but still this matters. 59% raised in church, gone, 20% of 30 and under, only 20 believe it's important to be at a congregation. If we had a congregation full of millennials, that would explain why these seats look like this, Okay? 35% of people take an anti-church stance. Now, it's not even I'm not going. It's not that I dropped out. It's that, ugh, gross. Okay, next. Here are their top reasons. Hypocrisy is going to be in everybody's reason, regardless of age. Hypocrisy is always in there. Irrelevance, hypocrisy, moral failures of leaders, last two, God missing in church, and doubt is prohibited. From the front door, doubt and questioning prohibited. Okay? Millennials
God is missing in church, and believe me, we can apply that to synagogue uh, across the board. Okay, we can apply that across the board. Do you know why? Do you know why that is? I know you have reasons and theories as to why that is. Let me tell you one of mine. Because the church and religious teaching and communities like this and what are supposed to be tight-knit groups of believers and tribes, brothers and sisters united in the blood of Messiah and the foundation of Torah, have become about how we feel. It's about how we feel when we're there. And primarily only about how we feel when we're there. Did we get pumped up? Did we get empowered? Did we get strengthened? They're all good things. They're all good things. You need those. You need those things. But that's not the barometer for your religious life. Did we get this pump up? Did we learn about how good we are in God? How we're more than conquerors? How we can climb any mountain? Me, 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 me. Remember the song at the sea? I, 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 I. When the song at the sea was all about God. Did we, did we set it all to a good guitar tune? And did, did the worship leader wear, you know, tight taper and a good pompadour? And how stylish was it? How did I feel when I left? Because if I didn't feel it, it's not good. I will tell you there are plenty of days when I come up here and I pour everything I have out on this bima from Torah to music to preaching. And you know what? I go home and I say, I didn't feel a thing. I wasn't connected. And I know you feel that. Because whoever goes somewhere 52 times a year and every single time says, yes, that was amazing. No one does that. It doesn't happen. Now, if you go to a rock concert, and I go to some, and, but I don't get to do it 52 times a year, but when I go, I usually walk out saying, yes, that was amazing, but it's not my foundation for life. That's not the tool that's going to carry me out there in the world to be able to live out the commission that Yeshua gave me. A rock concert makes me feel good. What we do is not and cannot be only about how you feel when you're doing it. But it's not just, and some say, well, hey, listen, brother, I hear you, but, but you know, that, that, that pompadour and the, and the Gibson Les Paul and all the things that I used to have, I still do have them. Don't have a pompadour. It's not hair anymore. It's starting to go away. That works for the youngsters, man. No, it doesn't. It's not working. They're not coming. But it's not just them. Next. This is beyond millennials. Why do you go to church, adults? Why do you go to church? 44% to feel closer to God. Feel, okay, but that's not that. That's not what that means. 
That is not, I want to have an emotional response. Feel closer to God and learn about God are actually close together because they are, they are connected. When I learn about God, I feel closer to God. There will always be a necessity to have a feeling in your spirit and soul that you are close to God. That's legitimate. That's real. We must have that. The Holy Spirit should be alive, should be flowing. We should have some of that. But as I said, it is not your foundation for life. 44 to feel closer. 27. Paul, do the math for me. There it is. That's 71% of people who are going to their community to know God more. Do you know what percentage said, I'm going because I want community? 6%. 6%, less than 1 in 10. I don't know how you can be less than human, but less than 1. But anyway, that's what the numbers are. 6%. And we have small groups, large groups, women's group, this group, that group, tic-tac-toe group. Like, come and get fellowship here. Fellowship is a vital part of what we do. If we don't have it, we don't have a tribe. Fellowship often tends to take care of itself to a certain degree. I'm not saying we don't have programs. We don't have enough programs. We don't have men's group right now. We don't have women's group really flowing. We don't have things that we need. I'm not saying we don't ever have that, but that's not what people are actually longing for. They're longing to be close to God, but there's a breakdown. Slide five. That's small. Less than two of 10 attenders feel close to God on a monthly basis. Let me tell you, as I'm giving these statistics and again, I'm not whining, I'm not complaining, but as I'm giving these statistics, two of 10 feel disconnect. I mean, less than two of 10 feel close to God on a monthly basis. And I look around, there's something lacking here too. There's something missing here. Okay, I have to own this as well. 6% say they learned something about God or Yeshua the last time they attended. 6% of people when they went. You remember my reason why I said they're not going? Because you can't just be there to feel good. That's not what people want. 61% did not gain any significant or new insights last time they attended their congregations. This is terrifying. But it makes total sense. Makes total sense. The author of this article, you know, so, so I'll ask you, all the things that are going on, all the new developments and this and this and this, what, what's happening in the mainstream, is it working? I'm not bashing anything. I'm asking, is it working? It doesn't seem to be working for whatever work it is that we're actually trying to do. How long? How long till the system just utterly implodes? How long until you can't get a millennial off their couch on a Shabbat morning because they're in their sweatpants eating Cocoa Puffs, listening to a YouTube video about God? Because that's where they find God. How long till the system implodes? Well, the system will implode. There's no question about that because Yeshua says it will. 
but there should be a strong tribe always in and undergirding it, always. This world system is going to implode, there's no question. But that doesn't mean we just throw up our hands like we've done with a number of issues that we shouldn't have thrown our hands up with. The author of this millennial, uh, the author of the article where I got this study is a millennial, and he says, I just want to love church. I want to be like Ned Flanders on The Simpsons is what his connection is. I just want to love church, but I can't. And he lists a whole bunch of reasons. But one of the things that strikes me is he says, and other people say it, and I'll read it again, don't give me any more mission statements. Don't give me any core values declarations. Don't give me that. Give me something real. Teach me, mentor me, help me know God. Let me ask my difficult and offensive questions, even if they are. Let me be me, help me, study with me, help me grow. And I love this guy's viewpoint. He's a, just listen to this. The early church leaders didn't have the things we now consider essential for our faith. They didn't have official church buildings, vision statements, or core values. They had no social media, radio broadcasts, celebrity pastors. They didn't even have the completed apostolic readings, the New Testament. Yeshua followers were often deeply misunderstood, persecuted. Some gave their lives for their faith, yet they loved and they served and they prayed and they blessed. And slowly over hundreds of years, they brought the Roman Empire to its knees. They did it through love. What did they have? A tribe. They were so connected by a unified purpose, by a connected heart, by the blood of Messiah, by social values, by language, by a number of things, and you couldn't get them to not participate. You know what they did with their money, remember in Acts? That's always a good measure for how, how committed someone is. What do they do with their money? I talked to someone last week after services. You want to know where someone's heart lies? Watch where they spend their money. But they had a tribe, and it worked for a number of years. But then something happened. The millennial, don't give me another trendy vision statement. He says, you sit back here for days or weeks having strategy sessions on mission and values and everything. And then you come out and you present it, but nothing changes. I'm still in the same place, even though you got that awesome vision statement and you made a t-shirt. We should make t-shirts though, by the way, not with our vision statement. So show me, teach me, inspire me, love me, let me be part of something. I don't even know if we know what that means anymore. Let me be part of something in a, in a congregation. And it's hard because we're all coming from a variety of distances and places and all kinds of stuff. But if we could find this, if we could find this, It's very valuable. It's very important, and you can change the world. And here's the problem. The world is changing. 
The world is changing. All those things that I just told you, you know what's the great part about that? There is something happening out there in the world amongst these people, amongst the disenchanted, the discouraged, the dissatisfied, the disgruntled, all the disses. What's happening is I, I and this, this, is, this is where you come in. This is why you have such an unbelievable opportunity. I got this book when Reuven Prager was here. 10 from the nations, Torah awakening among non-Jews. Okay? I started reading it on a, on a uh, couple weeks ago. And it's written by a, an or, it's edited by, compiled by an Orthodox Jewish lady, PhD, very, very smart. And it has a number of testimonies within it about Torah affect how the nations were affected. People, okay, a lot of different backgrounds. Tovia Singer's in here, anti-missionary Jews for Judaism. There's a pastor in here who denied Yeshua, okay? And the editor writes in the preface, I don't believe for one second that Jesus is divine, that he's the Messiah. I don't believe any of that, okay? So what's my point? Here's the point. What God said would happen, this is a, this is a, this is a little sneaky thing I'm going to tell you. What God said would happen is going. Without a doubt. And what did he say? It's what Yeshua said when he took up the cup and said, this is the new covenant ratified in my blood. Given in my blood. What does that have to do with what you're talking about, Damien? Well, give me a slide here, Darren. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make what? A new covenant. What is the new covenant? Somebody give me a 10-word description of what the new covenant is. What is it? Some brave soul. Thank you. Writing the Torah on the heart. Who, who, who was it given to? Go to the next slide. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all. What do these people want? What do the 71% want? To know God, to be connected to God, to understand Him. They will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. And this connects directly to something else in Zechariah, next slide, eight. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and treat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts. In those days, ten men from the nation of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you. For we've heard that God is with you. Next slide. Amos 8. Listen to this text. And think about the stats I just gave you and the new covenant and what it's supposed to mean and what this says. Behold, the days are coming. That means pay attention. This is going to happen declares the Lord when I send a famine on the land. Not bread, not water, but hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. Why do we need a new covenant? Because Amos is telling you what's going to happen and what is happening. 
But here is the problem. Here is where your mission, here is a purpose that I don't even know if you really grab a hold of. So you say, well, so great. Ten, not, ten from the nations take hold of a Jew. Great for the Jews. Great for them. No, you are in here. You are in this tribe. It's not a Jewish tribe. It's a Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah tribe. And you are on the journey that these people want to be on. You possess knowledge that they want. And it's not just about knowledge, obviously. But you have something to give. And here's the dilemma. If you don't do it, if you don't do it, they will. And these are not my enemies. Tovia Singer is not my enemy. He, I, I, don't, I don't hate them. I don't have that animosity. But how incredibly tragic would it be if the new covenant is for the Torah to be written on the hearts of God's children and that Yeshua with His very blood is the one who inaugurated it, who brought it about. How tragic would it be if we sit on our butts and let someone who is going to not proclaim the name of Yeshua to cause people to turn their back on Him, to embrace Torah to the exclusion of Yeshua. Is that the way it works? No, it doesn't work that way. And it's your job. It's our job. And I know you may not feel empowered for that. That's okay. But I'm telling you, the stats that I gave you relative to what's happening in the world, it is of the Lord. There is something significant going on. They can find information. There's information everywhere. So we, we have to have within us this connected feeling. We have to be strong internally so that we can face the external. Well, how do you ever expect me to do that? I mean, I'm not a Torah teacher. I'm not this. I'm not that. I don't care what you're not. Figure out what you are and start doing something with it. Within the wall, within these walls, within these walls, and outside these walls. And those walls may be in your living room. The next set of outside these walls might be in your living room doing what? Do you remember this? This is, um, this is we all know first fruits, and I got this along several months ago, Torah Club. They have Torah Club, but there's a whole new vision for them that has to do with Torah Club. Who's ever taken a BSF Bible study? Anyone? Bible Study Foundation or something like that. Worldwide, started by one lady who was a missionary in China or something, came back, a, w a group of women at a church asked her, will you teach us? She said, I'll teach you, but I'm not going to do all the work for you. You're going to learn to be disciples. That's how BSF started. I think they have like 10,000, 20,000 Bible studies around the world. One lady and a small group of women, it's always women, who were empowered to do something.
these people, first fruits of Zion, they're not going to be just the, like, it's not enough just to publish books. It's not enough anymore. What we're going to do is we're going to set people up in their homes as leaders, as Torah club leaders. We're going to have messianic BSF. We're going to find leaders who want to influence and find those people, those starving disses, those starving disses, disenchanted, dissatisfied. We're going to set people up in their homes. We're going to empower the leader with, with information, and then they'll have a weekly Bible study and all this stuff, and it's awesome, and it totally changes everything. Because by 2020, they want to have a thousand of those groups around the world. A thousand of those groups. We can't do that in here exactly. But imagine the reach outside. I use this as an example. I use this as a very particular example because I'm going to tell you something else about this. I, was, I, I have seen in this, I really believe that God has, has shown me something about this, that these people, when they come to a Bible study like this, to Torah Club, and they say, I never knew this stuff. I never knew this. Where do I go to find out more? Where do they go? They go to the Messianic Synagogue. They go to the Messianic Synagogue, and we better be ready for them. We better have a tribe that is, that is tight, that is connected by the blood of Messiah, that has got a strong and sturdy foundation in Torah, that loves one another. Because they're coming. Those scriptures say they're coming. I had a conversation with Boaz Michael about this and about congregations and what the future looks like and what their vision is and this Torah Club 2020 and all that. Well, about five days later, something happened. I had this conversation with him and then he had a conversation with me. And he said, you know what? I'd like you to come on staff and be the Torah Club Community Care Director for all these groups. I want you to be the one who's going to interact with these group leaders around the world and, and encourage them and help them and build them up and be part of the plan. Don't say what you can't do. Figure out what you can do and take the opportunity. You know what I said? I'll do it. I will absolutely do it. What does it mean for us at Nakamuami? Nothing. I'm, I'm your rabbi. I'm here. But it's not enough. It's not enough what I do here on Saturday to accomplish that. When people are starving for the word, seeking sea to sea and north to south and east to west, there's an opportunity. And so I don't really know what that looks like right now, to be honest with you, because I haven't even started yet. But I'm going to do it. You know why? It's for us. And it's for me, selfishly. Not really. You know why? Because it's all for the kingdom. There's a lot of other things I could do if I really wanted to take on more responsibility. This is our calling. This is what our tribe does. Our tribe teaches the word. Our tribe empowers people with a strong foundation in God and helps them know them. Do you know how many times in this building I have agonized over a vision statement? Do you know how many times? 
So I agonized some more as I was thinking about tribes and everything. And I thought, man, we just need something. And, I, and then it just, it hit me in the face. Hit me in the face. Love God, love people. How many, how many shirts, how many congregations, how many places have you seen that before? Love God, love people. There's nothing, there's nothing creative about that. There's nothing in that that says, oh man, I want to be a part of that. That's, that's what I've been looking for. But here's the problem. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? But it's, could it be that simple? Actually, it's a tad bit more complicated than that. It looks like this. It's not love God, love people. Love God, love people. That's like, that's like kind of broad. You know, that's a, you need to be doing this. You should love God. You should love people. There's a difference between putting it that and putting it in the active tense that says loving God, loving each other. But there's more to that. It is this simple because it comes from the Torah. It comes from the Torah. It comes from Mashiach. That is where that comes from. Loving God, loving each other. The Torah teaches it. The Messiah lived it. And here's the problem. Most people are not experiencing that. They don't even really... It's just a statement. It's just another vision thing. It's just another good t-shirt. It's just another homepage. But it will be on our homepage. Because it is that simple. Loving God, loving each other, the Torah teaches it, the Messiah lived it, and you can experience. But unity does not come without a price. Unity in what we're trying to do and to have an impact, it doesn't come without a price. Do you know why? Unity is what we desire. What does Hasatan desire? Discord, disconnect. A strong tribe is begging Hasatan. It's begging Hasatan to come in because he doesn't like that. That causes him pain. That causes him damage. That takes people lost to found. Satan doesn't like that. Unity is hard. Doing anything worth doing is hard. It comes at a cost. So the kingdom of God and the chicken sandwich. You forgot that, right? What in the world do they, what is that? A podcast was shared, Darren shared this podcast, Darren and Sabrina with me this week. It was the marketing director of Chick-fil-A. It was the marketing director of Chick-fil-A. They have a motto for their, for their Chick-fil-A culture. Who's been to Chick-fil-A? Jonathan, have you been to Chick-fil-A? Oh, thank you. One person in the room not raising their hand. Is your experience at Chick-fil-A tend to be more pleasant than it would be at, say, McDonald's? Burger King, 
Sonic, Wendy's, Domino's, the five-star restaurant you ate at la- wherever, not last night, hopefully. Hope the five-star restaurant was at, at your dining room table for Shabbat dinner. But why is that? Because Chick-fil-A has created a culture within their people. They are interested in adding value to people. It took Chick-fil-A 33 years to do their first billion dollars. You know how long it took them to do their next billion? One year. This is their motto for culture, for their, for their chicken sandwich culture. Their people, their people, their tribe, okay? Not, not the customer, their tribe. Believe the best in each other so that they want the best for each other and they expect the best from each other. Any tight-knit organization any tribe. Believe the best in each other so they want the best for each other and they expect the best from each other. I expect a lot from you and I know you expect a lot from me. I also believe in you. I believe you're in the place God would have you for a purpose. I believe it's more than to sit in those chairs. Because here's the deal. If they can do that with fat Fried chicken sandwiches. What the heck is our excuse? If they can create a culture around a chicken sandwich in a restaurant, what is our deal? I'm not being negative. I'm not slamming you. I'm not saying you failed any of those things. I'm saying we haven't started. We haven't created. Remember, Remember, 71% of the world is starving not for a Chick-fil-A sandwich. They're starving for the Word of God and it gets worse from here. Fifty-nine percent of millennials leaving. We're sick of hearing about values and missions and cores. We want to see that happen. We want to see that happen. We have something. My How You Sewed class that I'm teaching right now, it's the people, it's, it's, it's the, some people from the Wesleyan class that I taught on the festivals and then some more people wanted more, more. So we did a How You Sewed class. And they're coming and they're faithfully attending, every one of them. And they're being fed. It's not me. I'm not saying it's me. It's it's the Word of God moving in their hearts. They're being fed. And afterwards, we watch these hour and 20 minute videos. No offense to whoever's listening. They're long. They're long. And sometimes like when you've watched them five times, it's your six how you sewed, you're like. But you know what they're doing? They're going. And afterwards, when the class is over, what would you expect? Thank God this is over. I got to go. No, 20, 30 minutes of questions. Archie and Vida are in the classroom. They're contributing. Ursula Griffin is in the class. I told you about what she told me. She came up to me yes, last class and she said, I didn't want to ask this question. I was kind of embarrassed. But, but like when Jesus was a baby, did he get in trouble? 
Like, did he sin? Did he, how did that work? I said, don't ever, ever, ever be afraid to ask a question because you know what? Other people in the room want to know the same thing and they won't ask. 13-year-old kid, Hayasot, Wesleyan. And yes, I'm involved in those things, but that's my job. I'm supposed to be involved in them. I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm telling you what's happening out there. We have... We have the opportunities to teach people Lance and Emery. I'll point them out just because they, I see them. They moved to a new house. They invited their next door neighbors over for Shabbat dinner. Like, who does that? I don't do that. The people next to me sold their house and new people moved in three months ago. Have they been to my house for Shabbat dinner? No. That's a failure on my part. I hope they're not listening because I don't have any plans to invite them anytime soon. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We have Torah treasures. We have Torah study after, this, after these services. Jews from the community attend. People from other Messianic synagogue come. I want you to realize what you're a part of and what you can do, what you can be a part of. But it won't be easy, and it takes all you got to give. And isn't that what Yeshua asked? You remember? What must I do? Sell everything you own, give it to the poor, then follow me. Did he really? Does, is that a call for every one of us to sell everything we own and become homeless but preaching the gospel? Of course it's not. It's asking you to say, what's the one thing really that's keeping you from going all in for me? What is it? Whatever it is, give it up. That's what it's saying. What is it for you? What is it? I have more than one thing. And I'm having to tackle them because it's not easy and it won't be easy. And nothing we're going to do should be easy. It doesn't take a village, Hillary. It takes a tribe. It takes a tribe. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to issue this challenge to you. I'm accepting a challenge that's outside these walls. Again, you, you don't have to worry that like my family is moving and we're just, you know, you become second class citizens. That's not what this is. There are other congregational leaders that are a part of this mission for this first fruits. They understand that. I understand that conversation we had. I am here to build and to strengthen this tribe, that we have an impact in the community, in the world, because anything less is a failure. I don't like to fail. I don't like to be lied to, and I don't like to fail. My heart is connected here to each one of you and to each one of these people, wherever they are. But my heart is drawn to connect to other hearts because that's where the kingdom is realized. To love God, love each other, and and let people experience that for real. You know, 
something is happening here, whether you see it or not. God has shown me and He's shown others. And if you're not seeing it, it doesn't mean you're not spiritual enough. It doesn't mean you're not holy enough. It doesn't mean you're not reading your Bible enough or even that you're not engaged in the tribe. If you don't see it, maybe, just maybe, there's more for you ahead. Maybe there's an opportunity for you to use the talents and blessings that God has given you in a different way than what you're doing with them right now. Remember what I told you. Actually, what Jonathan Sachs told you through me. We value what we make. We value what we make. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution from every man and woman whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution. Maybe the Lord is trying to move your heart because there's a very big world out there and there's an unbelievable tribe right here. Yeshua's words come to my mind to Peter when he's given this tough teaching, right, about if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you know, and everybody's bailing on him. And Peter says, probably they're stunned, like, I can't believe what the rabbi, did you you hear what the rabbi said? What are we going to do? This guy's crazy. And he says, where are you going to go? I mean, Peter, are you leaving? Are you leaving too? Are you going to bail? And Peter says it. What's he say? Where? This is where it's at. You're where it's at. Your message is where it's at. What is his message? That's where it's at. The 71% and the 59%, they want to be where it's at. You need to get them where it's at. Where are you going to go? You heard those stats. Where are you going to go? The world is starving for real relationship, not chicken sandwiches. Growth, knowledge, connecting with God, that takes investments. You don't feel it. You don't feel it when you're here. That's not all my fault. Probably very little of it's actually my fault. I'll give you everything God tells me to give you and the teaching and everything I can, but I'm not in charge of you. You are. You need to connect. You need to make a difference. And you need to learn to value what you have here. And you need to build it because we value what we make. I had a conversation last night with Paul. You know, the, the, the key word is we. It's not me, and it's not the person next to you. It's we. That includes you and me and them. We. Paul asked me, it, you know, Paul is a math guy, like all about numbers, right? So we're talking a little bit about some of these things, and Paul says, you know, it's, it's great, but like, how do I apply that? What do, you, what do you want me to do? So that I just spend 45 minutes giving you a rah-rah message. Don't, don't f- fear not. I'm not going into an hour of application right now, okay? Fear not. But the question is valid. 
what do you want me to do with it? Do you want me to tell you the answer to that question? I don't know exactly, because here's the deal. You're a part of it. You're a part. It's we. It's we. I need to add value to your life, like Chick-fil-A adds value to their customers. That's what I try to do. And you need to add value to other people. The kingdom of God and the chicken sandwich. You want a rah-rah speech? Let me tell you who gave a great rah-rah speech. Hitler. Hitler really could get you fired up, buddy. You know how he added value? He took it from other people. He increased their value by degrading other people's value. That is not what I'm saying. That is not what I'm doing in any way. And I'm not giving you rah-rah because I want you to have that culture, believe the best in each other, so they want the best for each other and they expect the best from each other. That doesn't come from me, it comes from you. But being aware of it is important. And I'm going to close with something that I want to read, which was from a newsletter. I want you to listen to this. I'll read it fairly quickly because reading can get boring. But I want you to listen to what it means to be a part of this tribe. When I told you it's difficult, when I told you there's a job ahead, do you ever feel like the whole world is against you? To be a Torah observant as a Messianic Jew or Messianic Gentile is an act of resistance. It's a bold challenge to the prevailing status quo. That status quo was established by a no longer valid theological worldview. For most of 2,000 years, the church has taught Jesus canceled the Torah and Jewish identity along with it. When a Messianic Jew steps out and says, I'm going to observe the Torah as Hashem commanded it, he or she commits an act of defiance against the entire world. It defies the secular world, which believe that faith in God and devotion to the Bible is rubbish and foolish. But that statement also defies the traditional church's view on Torah and Judaism as the antithesis of Yeshua faith. It defies mainstream Judaism, which believes that all Yeshua followers are apostates. The Messianic Jew who practices Judaism even finds himself or herself with at odds with other Jewish believers who are in the church living as Christians because they've been taught that as believers in Jesus, that's the pious thing to do. Gentile disciples are up as, against just as much resistance as Messianic Jews. When a Gentile disciple steps out and says, I'm going to observe the Torah as it applies to me as a Gentile disciple of Yeshua, he or she commits an act of defiance against the entire world. The secular world tolerate, tolerates religious people only so long as they stay in their respective boxes and keep quiet about their convic convictions. More than ever, that is the case. It has no tolerance for people who step out of the box. But the disciple also defies the church, which views such behavior as Judaizing. He or she defies mainstream Judaism, which prefers to keep Gentiles and Yeshua disciples as far away as possible. The same disciple will find himself at odds with the fringe world of Hebrew roots which will scold him for observing a theological distinction between Jews and Gentiles. 
We try to be as diplomatic as possible, but the, messianic, the message of Messianic Judaism will inevitably be viewed as subversive to the world's established institutions. The message of Messianic Judaism for all nations is doubly so. Most of the resistance we experience from other Yeshua followers is based on two propositions that should have been abandoned by now, replacement theology and abolition of the Torah. But of those propositions, both of those propositions held unchallenged sway over the church for centuries, but the era is over. We stand to challenge both propositions and resist the dogmas imposed by them. When the whole world is against you, you don't have many friends. That's why I am so grateful to you, this author says, something I'm going to say to our tribe for standing with us in this mission. As a member of the Nachamu Ami congregation, the tribe, you support the mission to bring Messianic Jewish teaching to Christians and Jews, and that makes you complicit in this insurrection. Viva la revolution! Boaz Michael wrote that for his FFOZ people. I read it, and it resonated with me for us. I'm going to end this right here where I, you know I'm going to end it. With all of our talks over the last few weeks about servants and all these other things, instead of looking inward, can we please embrace the revolution? Can we please do something about the statistics that are dying like rotten fruit on a vine? Can we please make a difference? How do we do it? I don't know just yet, but it will be outside these walls. It will be from your input, not me telling you everything to do, there are people who are much smarter than me in this room, who've been around longer than me, who know what needs to be done and maybe haven't said it yet. Now's the time. Instead, may we look forward to hearing instead of, oh, I can't, I don't want to, I shouldn't, I won't. Shouldn't we look forward to hearing when we enter into the kingdom, your heart was moved. You acted. You built something. You served God. You served the tribe. You repaired the world. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're longing for. And they, the stats, are waiting for you. They're waiting for you to do something. Can we do it? We can do it. Shabbat shalom.